You're listening to B2B Nation, a podcast from Technology Advice, designed to help marketers navigate the modern B2B buyer's journey. Here's your host, Mike Pastor. Let's talk about digital transformation. Okay, I know many of you are sick of that term. Whether you call it digital transformation or digitization or digitalization, it's basically what most of us have been working to market for much of the past five or ten years. It is the projects that help companies succeed in the digital era and cater to customers and employees who live in a digital and mobile-first world. I'm Mike Pastor from Technology Advice. For many companies, an unexpected thing happened on the road to digital transformation. There was a global pandemic which accelerated their transformation plans because it increased their customers' reliance on digital channels. In this episode of B2B Nation, we're going to talk with Ajit Shivadasan, who is responsible for Lenovo's web business. It's online sales in 35 countries for both B2B and B2C. We're going to talk about how transformation, the pandemic, the blurred lines between B2B and B2C and more are changing the buyer's journey and what vendors are doing to try to keep pace. We also touch on the essential skills B2B marketers are going to need over the next decade and what awaits all those retail supply chains in a post-pandemic world. That and more on this episode of B2B Nation. Have a listen. Ajit Sivadasan from Lenovo. Thanks for joining us on B2B Nation. Why don't you take a second to introduce yourself and tell us what you do. My name is Ajit Sivadasan. I work for Lenovo. Um, I actually run Lenovo's um, entire web business, um, online sales in 35 countries, uh, manage both the B2B and the B2C side of the business. Um, I've been with the company for 15 years now. So, In a recent episode that we did on B2B Nation, we talked about the convergence of B2C and B2B marketing, especially as we see it in the software as a service sector, where the buyer's journey is often a little bit less complex. The tech itself is often easier to deploy. What does this look like for you at Lenovo? Are the customer journeys and the buying experiences between B2B and B2C showing any signs of convergence among your customers? Um, You know, when you really think about your customers, uh, it's definitely true in the case of Lenovo because, you know, we operate in 165 countries and we've got a boatload of customers. We sell something like 100 million plus devices. So it's a broad set of customers that we have. Now, specifically, when I think about um, the web sales and kind of what I do with the web customers, it's a continuum. You start with the person who's buying one unit for their home or a gamer who buys a product, all the way to people who are buying data center products uh, for enterprises or storage solutions or any of the complex solutions that they want for their enterprise. Um, They all buy from the web in varying ways. Um, But what is really interesting is I think in the past, we've always felt like every individual can also be a B2B buyer. You just don't know because they're buying something for their home, but they're also a CIO or a decision maker for a company that that is actually making a purchase for something much bigger. But now with all of the kind of digital transformation that we see around the block for all the companies, those lines are getting blurred. Uh, And in many ways, Customers that are kind of traditional B2B customers, they are also, you know, customers that are buying from Amazon and most of the customers are now used to buying online. So their expectations in, you know, either consciously or subconsciously is quite a bit influenced by their purchase experiences. And therefore, you know, that's the kind of signal I think they are more and more attuned to. Uh, Maybe it's subconscious, but the reality is if you are a web marketeer, 
you have to really worry about these kind of two worlds melding. So you have to take the individual perspective and always know that maybe some of these individuals might be buying you know, larger purchases. So how do we make sure that the customer journey and the various aspects that actually make it compelling you know, are sensitive to how customers are changing their perception and their buying uh, patterns and behavior. So yeah, in absolute terms, yes. I mean, the behavioral change we absolutely see. Now, in terms of, in terms of kind of what is happening in people's minds, uh, I also see another kind of major trend, which is more and more, at least SMB customers um, and, and maybe even mid-market customers, they really are looking for self-service options where they don't really need to talk to people or maybe they talk to a you know, salesperson once, but then they want to be in this, um, in this sales cycle where they can actually make decisions without having to kind of involve a lot of people uh, and, and make the decision much more um, you know, to their liking and basically at their convenience. So as we, are, as we are more and more thinking about SMB customers and we are thinking about enterprise customers, we certainly are bringing some of the learnings that we get from the consumer side of the house to say, how do we make it easier? How do we simplify it? Common examples are search as an example, right? I mean, you wouldn't think about search as being such a big deal for B2B customers, but in the B2C world, it's, it's a huge deal. But search is becoming a big deal for everybody. And therefore, you cannot ignore that. The second one that I'll give you, and I'll stop after that, uh, is mobile experience. So mobile experience used to be a big deal for you know, individual buyers. But these days, I mean, even for our SMB customers, we have an app for their mobile purchases. We're talking about large enterprise customers basically using their phone to check pricing and configurations and things like that. So you, you really cannot... Uh, not pay attention to the mobile experience, even if they are B2B customers. So some of these things, they are coming together in the middle and you see a real evolution. Now, the trickiest part of all this is if you're a B2B marketer, traditionally, you always kind of thought about um, B2B customers as going to a conference or uh, going to one of those industry events as a way of kind of meeting and picking up a card and then you know, calling them and you know, doing cold calls. That whole sales motion is in some ways kind of changing because all these people are on the internet they are looking at things, they are on their phones. So suddenly the toolkit that we have used traditionally for such a long period for consumers becomes applicable for even B2B customers. And therefore, from a marketing standpoint, it's an interesting, um, I would say, convergence uh, between the consumer world and the B2B world from a marketing standpoint. As you're well aware, we see research all the time about B2B buyers being 75, 85% of the way through the buyer's journey before they will talk to a salesperson. And then, like you said, maybe they have one conversation before they execute on the purchase. I always think about that as if you're a B2B marketer, that 75% of the journey is now yours. You are the salesperson for the first 75% of the process. That's true. How does that work as a practical matter as B2C and B2B converge? You use the example of Amazon. If we go to Amazon, we see our recommendations. If you buy consumer products, you're likely to see recommendations for similar consumer products. When the lines get blurred, this is part of what businesses are working through with really trying to figure out someone's persona or identity. Who are they? What role do they play as they sit between these B2C and B2B worlds? Someone may purchase a gaming laptop, but they may also have made a significant purchase of data center gear. It's important to know that. Yeah, I, I don't know if you know this notion of progressive profiling at a very simple level. And, and I, I, I'm not trying to dumb this down, but I'm just kind of saying that this is something that is really important. 
in the past, we used to assign profiles to people based on their browsing behavior, and it used to be binary. So if you are a consumer, you stayed a consumer. If you are a student, you are a student. Um, and whatever the persona that might be that we, we choose to attribute you to. But what we have realized is that people are wearing multiple hats, especially in this day and age. Uh, the same household, you see multiple profiles coming. So this notion of progressive profiling basically says, okay, this person is a consumer, but boy, he's also interested in B2B stuff. Okay, suddenly that piece of information then tells us a little bit more. So each time we see the same person coming back and doing different things, the profile gets richer. And therefore we are able to construct a much more holistic point of view on what this customer or set of customers or a household looks like. Now, in terms of maturity, it's in varying stages of maturity, but my sense is that this is going to get very, very popular and many people are doing it, especially the ones that are really on the cutting edge of technology and are really focused on the, you know, pure play internet players are really focused on this. So the notion of progressive profiling helps you build a more complete profile and therefore you are able to customize things better and you're able to kind of deal with the expectations better uh, as, uh, as customers start to go in and out of their identity. It sounds like it would also keep up with their identity as well. You mentioned students, for instance. Very few people remain students forever. You're a student, you go off and enter both the B2B and B2C worlds, and it may not be long before you're making B2B purchases. So where your interests change, where your needs change as a buyer, and where you have budget is going to change as well. And it's especially important to note that most of the workforce is going to be millennials. I mean, you will have 70% of the workforce in the next five years becoming millennials, and these people are going to be making decisions. So it's a, it's a very, very important segment, and it's a very, very important consideration for brands. Millennials, they, they buy a lot of tech for personal use and for professional use, and they're going to buy most of it, if not all of it online. So you're absolutely right. You wrote recently on LinkedIn about some of the post-COVID realities that businesses are going to be facing. There was a lot of transformation over the past year. We saw an increase in the use of digital channels. We heard a lot about using more authenticity and empathy in our marketing. If every business goes and adjusts their playbook and heeds all of this advice, what do you think the differentiators are going to become? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I mean, um, digital um digital maturity is one thing and having a digital transformation effort is quite another. So many of the people who are really doing well have been at it for several years. Uh, if not, I would say at least a decade in some form of digitalization, right? So they may not be perfect, but they have basically figured out how to join their data sources. They figured out how to connect their legacy systems with their new systems. They figured out how to have a 360 degree view of the customer. So they've been at it for a long, long period of time. And they've basically try to look at the customer as the center of the universe, as opposed to the products or something else, right? So I think there is definitely a big difference. And there's, again, a continuum of players. There are some that are very mature. There are some that are very new. And there are many that are in between. So I think that it is aspirational for people to say, look, we are going to go solve this thing in a few year, few months uh, or even few years. Uh, with uh, some amount of small amount of investment, right? This is a long term. It takes a lo lot of money. It really requires you to have a commitment, potentially at the board level, to really say, you know, as a brand, we need to get closer to our customers. And it's not very easy, especially if you don't have a huge direct business 
right? If you sell through a channel or you sell through other people, you know, trying to get to that end user data is not easy. And therefore, it's that much harder for you to understand what these customers uh, want, what their needs are, and quite frankly, how to get to them and how to convey to them what your brand actually stands for. So my, my general sense is that everybody should be working on their digital transformation efforts. There are several that are ahead, there are several that are behind, and then there's a bunch of people in between. So I think that in terms of differentiation, I think you are going to see the impact of companies that have really adopted digitalization and digital strategy. They are going to buy in terms of sales, in terms of marketing, in terms of customer acquisition, do much better than everybody else. And I think that that is only going to grow uh, wider. The, the gap between the haves and the have-nots in this particular matter will grow wider um, depending on how much uh, you know, aggressive posture a particular company or brand adopts. So in terms of differentiation, look, I mean, you cannot, you cannot bring your way through understanding your customer's digital journey or trying to figure out how to kind of piece together the various interactions they have or the device domain uh, divides that you see between people. You know, somebody's on a mobile phone and then they're on their PC. How do you connect the two? You know, they're on different websites. Then they come to your website. How do you understand where they're coming from, where they're going? All these things, they, they just cannot be turned on. It's not a ma you know, silver bullet or a magic uh, wand that you actually just wave and then suddenly things happen. This requires very, very non-sexy, hard work, IT, fundamental, foundational stuff. So look, I mean, at some point, maybe everybody gets to the same level, but I think that innovation is happening at such a rapid pace that there is always going to be this catch up that companies will have to do. Uh, the companies that are going to get it and are going to be ahead are truly companies that have internalized the customer as the center of their access. And that is actually quite difficult to do if you have been in any kind of corporate environment for a long period of time. It's, um, it's, it requires a lot of discipline and it requires a lot of patience for you to actually make the transformation. So uh, I don't think it's going to be easy for everybody to kind of start differentiating based on this. But at some point, maybe they'll all get to a meets minimum requirement. But I, I expect innovation and the pace of uh, uh, transformation that is happening directly as a result of COVID in some cases um, to actually widen the gap between the people who get it and the people who don't. For our listeners, if you listen to the episode with Andrew Walker from Shift 7 Digital about B2B marketing in the manufacturing sector, we spent some time talking about this. The manufacturing sector in particular in response to the pandemic, really started rewriting the rule book. They moved in some cases from going through channels to marketing straight to their consumers. And they didn't have the data. They never had to invest in messaging to the users because the channel did that. And now some of those channel partners they worked with for years are now competitors. You mentioned the unsexy tech, but there's a lot of other things on a business strategy level going on around digital transformation, such as relationships with channel partners. Uh, maybe you don't think about in the beginning when you start these journeys. Very true. This is Mike Pastor from Technology Advice. We're talking to Ajit Sividasan from Lenovo about how the buyer's journey is transforming in our digital world. Just a reminder that the next installment of Technology Advice Demand Fest the half-day virtual conference for B2B marketers is coming up on April 6, 2021, and you are invited. You can learn more, see the program, and RSVP at demandfest.tech. Let's get back to our conversation with Ajit.
You've been at Lenovo for more than a decade. What would you say your experience has been around transformation and innovation? How receptive have the leaders at Lenovo been when you've had to go to them and say, now we need to invest in this technology or that technology so that you can improve the customer experience and increase sales? Yeah, I mean, I've been with the company for 15 years, right? So the first 10 years, I was probably the only person because um, I had to do it because of necessity, right? My customers were direct to me and I had to basically try and connect with them. So it was novelty and the entire company, you know, 95, more than 95% of our revenue comes from our partners and retail and everywhere else. So in terms, clearly in terms of scale and investment, you know, that was not the biggest priority, I would say. But um, Lenovo actually has done a very good job in the last five years where we really understood that the world is going to change in a pretty dramatic fashion, even before COVID. And we made a concerted effort at trying to put the customer in the middle of everything, including, by the way, uh, paying our executives on customer experience course, which, uh, you know, whether it's NPS or some other measure of customer satisfaction, became a pretty regular um, item, at least one of the components of people's pay packages for executives and everybody else in the company. So in terms of focus and attention, I think that we, we have both. Uh, in terms of investment, I think it's been uh, at least one, two or three in the top uh, three or four of the agendas that we have had. So um, I would say I'm very pleased with at least our focus on what needs to be done. Of course, we are far from pr perfect and we need a lot of things that need to be changed. But in terms of getting attention and in terms of management's focus, I think we are there. NPS, for those of you who aren't familiar, Net Promoter Score, it's a measure of basically how many of your customers would turn around and recommend you. It's a measure of advocacy. That kind of marketing is really hard to get organically. There's nothing better than having customers go and essentially do some of the marketing for you. That's right. What else do you think we should be looking for from marketers in the coming year? There's this tradition in American culture anyway to sometimes identify things as monumental or something will change the world. But then when they pass, we tend to go back to what we were doing, almost as a point of pride or resilience. But none of us have been through what we've been through in the past year before. So what do you think we're going to see from marketers in the coming year? Yeah, look, I mean, some of these things, uh, I mean, first of all, I'll profess that I really don't have a, um, a magic. No crystal ball? No crystal ball or a magic mirror that tells me uh, what's going to happen in the future. But look, I mean, there are some trends that are quite, unmistakable and quite frankly are more permanent than we think, which is uh, people going to work, um, at least working full-time in an office, people traveling a lot more than what they have done in the past. The business model implications, a lot of the business models are shifting. I mean, omni-channel is becoming much more widespread. I mean, in the past, omni-channel used to be a nice to, uh, nice to use term and people used it with varying sophistications. Uh, but rea the reality is that this pandemic has caused people to innovate in a pretty significant way. And most of the innovations that I've seen that's really interesting are coming in uh, multi-channel environments. So none of those things are really going to change, in my opinion. And, and the business model, actually, the result of the business model is a better solution. So as an example, we see retailers more and more cutting down their stores, but then really trying to figure out the existing stores and how they want to use the store space to be much more experiential and then use their online as a mechanism to basically sell. Uh, people who have traditionally had retail and online trying to combine the two to figure out what's the right experience for the customer, figure out how to use the retail space much more effectively by 
um, facilitating sales calls and not worrying too much about stocking product. So in many ways, I think this whole shift of many more people being online in a very persistent way and a lot, um, lot of business model shift that we see, you see some of these trends are going to force companies to become uh, you know, and keep doing the digital transformation that they are on. If they don't, I think they risk getting behind. And you know, you talked about the differentiation um, element a, a few questions ago. I think that differentiation will become wider and the companies that don't uh, emerge out of this thing with new innovative solutions will likely have a tough time trying to navigate in this new normal that's coming coming up. This has been tough on the bricks and mortars retailers. Not that there are a lot of pure bricks and mortars retailers anymore at the national level, to your point, but we talk about retail changing and the way that we order and get our food is changing, perhaps for the long term. But when you really think about it, that retail model, the supply chain model for retail, from manufacturer to warehouse to retail store, that's been in place for more than 100 years. That disruption is huge. If a retail location becomes more of a showroom for online purchases. Agree. You know, so the big, big supply chain transformations um, are the, I think the, the biggest challenge many companies are facing, including us, because, you know, we used to be much more of a mass manufacturer and manufacturers and then put them on a truck and really drive everything to scale and efficiency, right? So everything was built for efficiency. But as the distribution gets more distributed, pardon the pun there, but when the distribution is more complex, like as an example, in the B2C environment, you're really sending a product potentially from anywhere in the world to somebody's house. And suddenly, as people started working from home, even enterprise customers basically started saying, look, I would much rather you send the system directly to the employee's home rather than try and send it to an IT department that can then take it and install it and do all kinds of things with it. So, you know, it's a very simple example, but it kind of illustrates how B2C principles are going to get applied to B2B, you know, B2B environments. And therefore, now suddenly the supply chain that was designed to do mass produce and do a bunch of stuff for efficiency has to now pivot and do onesie, twosie stuff, which is much more inefficient. That's not customized to that particular audience and suddenly it creates this inefficiency. Um, so that brings up very, very interesting issues in manufacturing. As an example, you're running a line, um, you know, you make, I don't know, 200,000 units of a particular product and now you are getting orders that are onesie, twosie potentially combined with some bulk orders. So think about how your manufacturing process has to evolve. You know, you may have to have custom lines that accommodate some of these distractions, so to speak. So I think the disruption is quite deep. And if people are not careful, right, it's easy for you to basically screw up uh, customer expectations in terms of delivery and in terms of quality and in terms of every aspect of uh, the purchase cycle. Companies have invested a lot of money in their supply chains, getting them to operate at as efficient a level as possible, having just the right components in the right place at the right time. And now we've changed the whole game on them. IT vendors talk a lot about agility. We're going to see how agile some businesses really are. Yep. Let's combine two things that you have an interest in. One is speaking to students and the other is skills development. If you had to identify a skill that an aspiring B2B marketer is going to need over the coming decade, what would it be? 
Well, I'll give you a few because I'm just not good at telling you one, right? Because I could be wrong. So I'm going to hedge my bets here and uh, talk about a few things, right? Um, so I, I'll start with um, data competence. So I think that increasingly the world is going to be digital and everything is about real time and everything is about measurements. We have the tools, we have the capability, uh, and we have the ability to track uh, now journeys much more than what we have done in the past. So everything is uh, pivoted off of data, right? And the faster you can make data-driven decisions, the better off you're going to be. So the question I think will become, how competent are you uh, at some level, right? I mean, you have to have a, at least some level of ability to ask the right questions. You, if you are a manager, um, if you are going to be an analyst, you have to have the ability to actually visualize the data or do the analysis. So I, I think that in the business world or pretty much in anything that we do, data will become uh, quite important and data competence of an organization will differentiate itself in terms of how good it is. So I think data competence at every level is going to be really important if you're a student. Likewise, I think the ability for you to understand customer experience and associated journeys, I think is important. So it doesn't matter whether you're a marketeer, whether you are a salesperson or you're a manager, you really have to understand what is important to your customers and therefore uh, you can make better decisions. So I think some level of grounding of business processes are going to be really, really important. So in many, in the past, I mean, people used to talk about business process re-engineering as this very big thing. It used to be the dominant consulting word for at least a decade or maybe even 20 years. Uh, but I think that people being grounded in those kinds of processes are really important because I think the, the evolution of the business processes are going to drive a lot of change. And so if you are really good at it and you understand it, you're going to be very comfortable. If you're not, it'll feel like you have to really, really change a lot very, very quickly and often. So uh, having that uh, as a grounding or having that understanding is going to really help you. Uh, and then the last one is really about um, innovation. Um, and it's really an innovation mindset. And the assumption is that nothing is going to change, nothing is going to, you know, stay the same for a long period of time. In fact, they won't even stay the same for a short period of time. So you have to get really, really comfortable with the notion of innovation. Uh, and it's a mindset. So it's more than, you know, you being a scientist, but it's always the curiosity and the inquisitiveness to really say, okay, can I do this better? Or can I do this different? How do I do it different? What kind of tools, what kind of resources can I use to go drive improvements? So they all work together. I think the data becomes kind of a core element and skill. Innovation is kind of what comes out of it. And really, if you put the customer in the center and understand what the customer is trying to do, then you can put all of these three together and become very, very effective in the, in the jobs that you will find and in the roles that you are uh, going to find in the future. It probably doesn't need to be said, but I would add to that list the ability to communicate clearly. None of the ideas for innovation, the analysis of your data will get very far if you can't clearly and effectively communicate them. I think yeah, I, I would say communication is probably on top of all of, the, all of them, right? I assume that you know how to effectively communicate, writing and reading uh, and presenting. So that, that goes without saying, uh, but you're absolutely right. I mean, that's the one thing that I tell my kids all the time that, look, you have to learn how to communicate because if you're not able to communicate, no matter what your ideas are and how good they are, they'll just remain good ideas. Uh, they will not <laughs> see the light of the day. 
There's a question we ask almost every guest on B2B Nation. What is the one tool that if we took it away from you, your productivity would plummet? The tool you cannot work without. I have to say it's my phone, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I used to think, it, it. you know, obviously the computer plays a very, very important role. And I use a lot of my time on the computer. But I'm actually able to operate with a phone much more effectively, um, especially, you know, during COVID, I've not traveled at all. But normally I travel something like 200 plus, uh, 200,000 plus miles a year across, I don't know, maybe 15, 20, 30 countries. Uh, and the phone is the one constant thing that I have, right? When I can't open the computer and look at all the stuff. Today's phone, I can actually do pretty much everything I want to do, including being on a team call or a Zoom call and have a conference call and do look at my PowerPoints, make edits, change things. So I think the phone would probably be the one tool that would be missed the most from a hardware standpoint. In terms of um, in terms of the software thing, I mean, I'm a salesperson, so I always look at numbers and data. And so I'm always tethered to uh, the dashboards that, um, that are available that tell me where the business is going. And we, we are an Adobe shop and we spend a lot of um, uh, technology from Adobe to connect the customer experience. So the dashboards that I get are mostly data um, articulation that comes from the Adobe Analytics engine. Uh, so I would say, you know, from a software standpoint, that's one thing that's going to be really, really important for me. If you took it away, I would probably be flying blind. And if you if you took my phone away, um, I would probably be very, very uh, unproductive. Well, there's that data again. Data literacy is important because you put it to work on a daily basis. Ajit Sivadasan, thanks for joining us on B2B Nation. That was Ajit Shivadasan from Lenovo. I am Mike Pastor from Technology Advice, and this is B2B Nation. And you should subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice and share this podcast with a friend or colleague. Thanks to Amy Dunn, Sarah Wingate, and the Prime Minister of B2B Nation, Emily Whalen. Enjoy mnemonics in the Guild on your way out. We'll see you next time.